This is the Trails Church Podcast. At the Trails Church, our mission is to glorify God by making disciples through the gospel in community and on mission. If you'd like more information about our church, visit our website, thetrails.org. Now, here's today's podcast. Open your Bible with me to Exodus chapter 33. J.I. Packer, in his book, Knowing God, tells a story of the time he was walking across a university campus with a professor who was in, in the process of forfeiting his academic career because of his unwavering belief in the gospel of grace. As they walked and talked, the man said, but it doesn't matter, for I have known God, and they haven't. I have known God. This was just a passing statement for the professor, but it sunk in the heart of Jim Packer. The confidence of the professor to claim that he had known God captivated him. The idea isn't foreign in Scripture. The Apostle Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 3, verse 8, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Knowing Christ. Knowing God has been at the heart of our journey through Exodus. The Lord revealed Himself and redeemed His people, not merely so that they might know about Him, but they might know Him. And so as we begin our descent, after our journey through this great book, I'd like to read some words from Dr. Packer that I think are a timely reminder. He wrote, Knowing God is more than knowing about Him. It is a matter of dealing with Him as He opens up to you. And being dealt with by him as he takes knowledge of you. Knowing about him is a necessary precondition of trusting in him. But the width of our knowledge about him is no gauge of our depth of knowledge of him. Of course, to know God, we must first learn about him. This is why God has given us his word in the Holy Scripture. It's why we study theology and as a church care so deeply about sound doctrine. But Packer insists that knowing God is more than just education. And so does scripture. So what is it to know God? Knowing God is heart-to-heart communion. It is face-to-face relationship with the triune God. Knowing God is heart-to-heart communion. It is face-to-face relationship with the triune God. As I lived in this text throughout the week, and I prayed that we would be a people who know heart-to-heart communion with Christ and enjoy face-to-face relationship where we deal with Him and are dealt with with by the Holy Spirit at work in us. That we would long to grow in our sense of knownness and in knowing Him. So my question is this. Are you growing in knowing God? Are you growing in knowing God? 
Exodus 33 details a spectacular conversation between Moses and the Lord. This section of scripture is is hemmed in between the golden calf incident we looked at last week in chapter 32 and the covenant being graciously renewed in chapter 34. And it shines with the brightness of Moses' intimate relationship with the living God. Through the conversation, we also see yet another glimpse of God's heart that beats to live in relationship with his people. Springing from this passage that highlights the glory of knowing God are two prayers that are meant for us to pray as well. First, show us your ways. And second, show us your glory. Would you stand with me as we read together Exodus chapter 33, verses 7 to 23. This is God's holy and inerrant word, though written long ago, speaks life to us today. Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far off from the camp, and he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go over to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would rise up, and each would stand at his tent door and watch Moses until he had gone into the tent. When Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. And when all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up and worship each at his tent door. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face, as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, Bring up this people, but you've not let me know whom you'll send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you've also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore... If I have found favor in your sight, please show me your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And he said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And he said to him, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight? I and your people. Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, This very thing that you have spoken, I will do, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses said, Please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for no man, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there's a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft on the rock. And I will cover you with my hand until I've passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. The grass withers, and the flowers fade, 
but the word of our God stands forever. Amen. The first prayer this passage teaches us to pray is, show me your ways, verses 7 to 17. In order to understand the significance of all we're about to cover, let us remind ourselves of what has just happened back in chapter 32. Moses met with God for 40 days on the top of Mount Sinai, receiving the handwritten original copy of the Ten Commandments, the whole book of the covenant teaching them to apply the commandments to daily life, the blueprints for the tabernacle. Meanwhile, back at the camp, the recently redeemed people practiced false worship of this golden calf and broke the covenant that they had just made with God. Last week we left off with Israel mourning over their sin and Moses interceding for these people before God in prayer. And as we focus in on this dialogue between God and Moses, we set the stage with a couple of phrases that help us understand these verses. The first phrase is face to face. Face to face. A tent was set up Outside the camp where God met with Moses face to face. Verse 11 says, as a man would speak with his friend. This tent of meeting was not the tabernacle we just learned of from chapters 25 to 31. That tent had not yet been built. Rather, this was another smaller portable tent set up outside the camp. A fact that is stressed three times in these verses where God would meet with Moses. If you remember, the tabernacle would sit right in the middle of all of the people of God. Yet this camp is so far outside. Why? Why is the repetition of why this tent of meeting is so far from the people? If you'll remember, it's because there was sin still in the camp. Relationship was not made right yet between God and his people. Still, there is evidence of continued heart change that began at the beginning of this chapter. Moses says that everyone who sought the Lord would go out to this tent. This means that these people who had just recently sought after other gods had had their hearts turned and now they were seeking the Lord again. Also, as Moses Headed toward the tent of meeting, the people would stand outside of their homes. As the glory cloud would rest upon this tent of meeting, everyone would stand in their front doors and stand at attention in reverence of God speaking to Moses. Remember, this is the one they called this Moses, distancing themselves from him. Now you see the restored worship of God in the hearts of his people and this renewed reverence for the prophet of God, for Moses. Yes, that Moses was approaching the presence of the Holy God in order first to commune with him and also to intercede on behalf of Israel. Verse 11 describes the intimate friendship that God had with Moses and the unique way that he spoke with him. This phrase, face to face, does not mean that Moses would physically See the face of God. Just a few verses from now, God says in verse 20, Man shall not see me and live. Rather, this is a figure of speech intended to communicate to us 
how Moses enjoyed direct communication with the living God. This was a level of intimacy and fellowship that no human had experienced since the day that God banished Adam and Eve from the garden. Moses and God were friends. The second phrase I'd like to call your attention to contains the comfort that Moses is pleading for. Here's the phrase, my presence will go with you. This is the controlling idea of verses 12 to 17. My presence will go with you. And I hesitate to even give you that phrase so quickly because it did not come quickly. Moses asks God, who will you send with me to this promised land? But the question behind the question is, will you go with me? God, will you go with me? It's as if he anticipates the Lord saying, well, who's asking? Who's asking? So along with the question, Moses reminds God of some of his previous words. Well, the one who's asking is, well, it's, it's me, God. It's Moses, the one that you know by name. The one who has found favor in your sight. And so, with confidence, he presents to the Lord this remarkable request. Show me your ways. Show me your ways. What's so interesting about this language is how multifaceted it is. Show me your ways includes this appeal for God to reveal to Moses the ways in which he operates, his character, his nature, the mind of God, the heart of God. It also includes this petition to show God's direction, the way forward in life, lead me, direct me, go with me. And then packed into this ask is this driving desire that I may know you. So it's not show me your way so I can have a bunch of information. It's show me your way so that I might know the living God. Moses has found favor in God's sight. And so now he asks the Lord to show him his ways so that he could continue to walk in them and to find favor in his sight. Psalm 103, verse 7, provides some commentary on this prayer, saying God made known his ways to Moses, his acts toward the people of Israel. God answered this prayer, and here he answers it directly in verse 14. My presence will go with you and I will give you rest. But there's some interesting language here in the Hebrew that we must point out. The word you found there is second person masculine singular. Second person masculine singular. That's how nerds would describe it. Um, Let me just describe it for us, just normal Texans. It's God saying, I will go with you, but he's not using the word y'all. So if you're taking notes, it's you, not y'all, okay? So why? Why is God distancing himself? Moses said, go with me, God. Show me your ways. God says, I will show you my ways. I will be with you. I will give you rest. Singular, 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 but not y'all. Why? Because the relationship is still cut. It's not been restored yet. We won't see that till next week. God's going to keep his promise. But he's still wanting Moses to, to seek after him. 
God is distancing himself from his people. And so, once again, Moses, the mediator, stands in the gap and insists that God not only promise his presence to him, but to us, verse 15. And he echoes, to I and your people, two times. And in verse 17, the Lord answers that request. I will also do this thing because you, singular, have found favor in my eyes. And here let me point out the reason that God acted favorably toward his people was because one man had found favor in his eyes. As we read passages like this, each one of us think we'd like to be like Moses. Right? Don't you want to be the one who's outside the camp while all the sinners are back at home? But guys, we're the sinners back at home. And God does not act favorably toward us because we've earned his favor. He acts favorably toward us because one man stood in the gap. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who lived the perfect life, died a sinner's death in our place. And so God acts favorably toward us because of what the one man has done. That's really good news. In the New Testament, we read this, like Matthew 3.17. At the baptism of Christ, the voice of the Father rings through the air as the Spirit as a dove descends. And he says, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well, what? Pleased. Moses is praying, show me your ways. The New Testament tells us that Jesus is the way the truth, and the life. And there's no other way to the Father except through Him. No, you and I are the stiff-necked people back at home in need of grace. And the only way we can know God face to face, the only way that we have a hope to experience God's presence, the only opportunity that we have to pray a prayer like, show me your glory, God, is through the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's because Jesus lived in our place, died in our place, and was resurrected on the third day that we can now pray, show us your ways. Underneath this conversation, we learn that to be given every other blessing is of no value if God is not with you. What is the value of this promised land of Canaan if God is not there? Moses understood that enjoying the face-to-face presence of God, being taught the ways of God, and ultimately knowing God was infinitely of more value than anything else in this world. What about you? What if your life was like a promised land where you landed the dream job married the ideal spouse, you raised successful children, accumulated more money and possessions that you knew what to do with, what if God granted you everything this world had to offer but didn't give you himself? 
it would be worthless. Absolutely worthless. What Moses is saying is we cannot value just the gifts. We must value the giver. He doesn't want the gifts if the giver isn't given. And so let us, with each step of this life, refuse to fall for the lie of this world that there is life and fulfillment and lasting satisfaction anywhere but in Jesus Christ. Let us pray together. Lord, show us your ways, which he has done in his word. Show us your ways that we might know you. The second prayer this passage teaches us to pray is show us your glory. As we reach the summit of verse 18, we are greeted by one of the most important prayers in all of the Bible. One scholar called it the most dangerous prayer in the Bible. As God meets with Moses, he dares ask him something more. Please, God, show me your glory. Your glory. We've come across that word multiple times in Exodus. That's the weightiness of God. Moses had already seen God's glory displayed multiple ways. A ray of his glory flickered at the burning bush which blazed with fire but was not consumed. The beams of God's light shone as he defeated the false gods of the Egyptians and they danced through the dry ground of the Red Sea. The shining light of God's glory hung in the sky with a pillar of cloud and fire. His eyes beheld God's glory on the mountain in Exodus 24 when they were all face down. And and Moses says, we saw God. But the only thing he can describe is nothing to do with God's presence but just the footprint of God in the sand. So what's he asking for? He's seen God's glory in many different demonstrations. But Moses wants more. He wants more. More of God's glory. He longed for it. And so he asks for it. God's answer is, it's the kind that a mom gives. It's like yes and no. It's like yes and now here's all the qualifications to make sure you don't hurt yourself. In the no part of his answer, he reminds Moses that no one can see his face and live If Moses beheld the complete revelation of God in all of his glory, it would be so incredibly overwhelming, it would crush him. Why? Because the burning holiness of the immortal God is more than any mere mortal can take in. And so the Lord said, no, I won't show you the full picture of my glory, but... And then he equates a couple of things with his glory. These are so interesting, two things... His goodness and his name. First, Moses will see the goodness of God. The Lord says in verse 19, I will make all my goodness pass before you. Well, what is the goodness of God? It's the bright reflection of his compassion and generosity and love toward his people. His goodness. Verse 21 through 23 tell us how this would happen. The Lord led Moses to this place on the mountain. He would be standing there and he would put him in the cleft of a rock and he could hide in it. And at the very moment when God's glory was to pass by, God would take his hand and shield Moses from his glory. 
And then as God passed by, he would remove his hand and just allow him to see like the train of his glory, if you will, like Isaiah 6. By the way, the same thing happens in 1 Kings with Elijah. Where Elijah hides in the cleft of probably the same rock and has a very similar experience. As Phil Riken said, Moses was protected by God from God. Okay, let's pause for a minute. So you're saying like God has a hand and a back. What's happening here? I thought God was invisible. Isn't he a spirit? Well, yes, what's happening here is the Bible's using anthropomorphic language, human language, to help human minds understand what's happening here. And in this passage, God is revealing to Moses his glory, showing his goodness. And second, the Lord shows Moses his glory by proclaiming his name. Yahweh is used here. It says back in verse 19, I will proclaim before you my name. This is so interesting. It it, it immediately, as we come to the conclusion of our study of Exodus, we go all the way back to the beginning. Do you remember in Exodus 3, Moses is at Sinai and God proclaims his name for the first time. Well, here he does the same thing. He's going to show his glory by proclaiming his name. Well, he's already done that. So what's happened? What's changed? Well, God has not changed one bit. He has no shadow of turning. But Moses has. Moses has changed a lot. They've now got a lot of history together. He understands who Yahweh is. He is the God who hears, who sees, who knows his people. The God who is more powerful than all the false gods of Egypt. The one who redeems with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. The God who goes before his people, providing for their needs, being their help and strength. The God who makes covenant, who cuts covenant and keeps covenant even when his people won't. And as we'll see next week, as we conclude our study, Lord willing, of this great book, he is the God who is merciful and gracious. He is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Show us your glory. So can we pray a prayer like this? Well, I'm not sure. A minute ago, you told us we weren't Moses. We were the stiff-necked sinners back in the camp. So I don't know. I don't want to die. I don't want to say, God, show me your glory, and just my face is melting, and I'm undone. Is it possible for you and I to pray that prayer? Is it possible for you and me to see the glory of God? Well, I have really good news for each of us, in Christ, we absolutely can. There have been multiple times I've asked you to look at the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 14. It was particularly helpful to us as we study the tabernacle. Because when, when John writes that God dwelt, it's that word, tabernacle. So we, we needed that to help understand how Christ fulfills the tabernacle. But also, Christ is the way that Common people, even sinners in need of a Savior, can behold the glory of God. 
John 1.14. Pay attention to the word glory now. And the word became flesh. I'll push this time out. If you're new to the Christian faith, um, what John's writing about there is the word became flesh means God, the one who created the heavens and the earth, the word that was eternal, became incarnate, that he took on flesh and was born a baby. This is what we celebrate every Christmas season, that God took on flesh, that he became a baby. And that's who Jesus was. He was the God-man. So back to what John says. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. We've seen it. The only Son, the glory of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Of course, have you and I ever seen Jesus Christ with our physical eyes? None of us. But have our eyes been opened? The eyes of faith have been opened to who Jesus is as the one sent from heaven. And now when we look to Christ, when we look to the goodness of the gospel, we behold the glory of God in the face of Christ. In Christ, we've seen the glory of God. We were made for this glory. And now we can pray, show us your glory. Is that on your prayer list? Is asking God to show you His ways, to show you His glory, anywhere on your prayer list? I think it needs to be. If we're going to see the kind of gospel renewal that we long to see in our culture, it begins in our hearts. Martin Lloyd-Jones, in writing on revival, wrote... These words, we may have been Christians for many years, but have we ever really longed for some personal direct knowledge and experience of God? Oh, I know, we pray for causes, we pray for the church, we pray for missionaries, we pray for our own efforts that we organize. Yes, but that's not what I'm concerned about. We all ask for personal blessings. But how much do we know of this desire for God himself? This is what Moses asks for when he says, show me your glory. He's asking, take me another step nearer. So brother and sister in Christ, we want to know God in his word. And we want to know him in our hearts. And to be praying, God, show us more of your glory. There is more than we've experienced in Christ. And to you who this, this whole thing may seem like a, like a work of fiction. You're telling me this guy's on a mountain and sees God's glory, but he doesn't really see him. And what's he praying for, all this? Let me just get to the very heart of the matter. There is one true God. He is the creator and sustainer of everything. He's the maker of Moses and the maker of your life. And out of love, he fashioned all things, but... The Bible says that sin entered the world and separated us. Just like we see the people, the tent's not in the middle. It's out, outside of the camp because of sin. And because of our sin, because we've broken God's law and commands, we've been separated from Him. And so out of great love, He sent His one and only Son into the world to live a life that you could not live and die a death that you deserved. But He was raised on the third day 
so that you, even in the face of death, would not die but have eternal life. And there's only one way to know this kind of life and forgiveness. Let me use different language. There's only one way to know God. And it's through belief in his son, Jesus, who said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so today I invite you to lay down your arms and bring your heart with all of its sin and call upon Christ to forgive you. He is merciful, slow to anger, rich in love. Repent of your sin. Come clean before God. And he will meet you right where you are. For each of us who are in Christ, is this on your prayer list? Show us your glory. At the heart of all of this is knowing God, wanting the presence of God, things that we talk regularly about as a church. Looking at this text, I was reminded of a conversation that I had about 15 years ago with a friend named Jim Essien. We were meeting at Montgomery Plaza in Fort Worth, and he was getting ready to go plant a church, now called Paradox Church in Fort Worth. And um, we sat down, and any time a church planter asks to meet with you, they're usually asking for people or money. Just write that down. That's probably true. And, and so there we were, and I uh, met with Jim, and so at the end, I said, how can I pray for you except people and money? Like, what else? And he said to me, pray that God would go with us. And it just hit me. Here's a brother who understands the, the, the value, the significance, the centrality, the dependence on the presence of God for each step. And I never forgot that. When we set out to plant the Trails Church, that was my prayer. God, would you go before us? God, would you go with us? Let us follow you. Let us sense your nearness every step of the way. And I want to keep praying that together. But for us to experience all that God has for us in the future, we've got to stay utterly dependent upon him, asking God, show us your ways. And looking to the gospel of Jesus Christ, saying, God, show us your glory. Let us grow deeper in love with Jesus Christ. Let all of our, the width of our knowledge about knowing about God lead to a deeper knowing God. And let's just be brave enough because of what Christ has accomplished to pray, show us your ways. Show us your glory. Show us the glory of knowing God. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your word, which is truth. Thank you for revealing yourself to us through it. For your glory that radiates from these passages and how it shines our eyes on Christ. Let us be a people dependent on your spirit for continued knowledge about and knowledge of you. We want nothing less than to know the true and living God. Let it be so. Through the power of Christ, we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast from The Trails Church. We hope you have been encouraged, equipped, and edified by time spent together in God's Word. 
And again, if you'd like to find out more about The Trails Church, visit our website, thetrails.org.